Welcome to Breaking Green Ceilings, the podcast that amplifies the diverse voices of those who are committed to protecting and sustainably managing our natural environment. I'm your host, Sapna Mulki. Let's get started. I hope you enjoyed the first part of our conversation with Sophia and Afnan from Green Muslims. So let's get into the second part. So back to <laughs> our topic at hand here. Okay, so I wanted to kind of dive in a little bit more into religion and perspectives towards the environment. So as I was doing research on this, I found that research has found that religion influences many aspects of lifestyle that affect the environment. So this could be things like Religion influences how we view climate change, if it's God's will, or if it's something that's caused by humans, or something that is beyond like human control. Or one example I thought of also is like how you observe the holy month of Ramadan. Like that one is like a very what's the word? Is it pious, a simple kind of lifestyle for an entire month, right? So are there any such examples you can think of how your lifestyle is influenced by your religion and how it affects how you interact with nature? Yeah, so this is something that I've done research on. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you, you did not read my research. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that <laughs> when we do make that connection, you know, the Quran is sent down to Muslims and it's meant to be a guide. Like this is how you live by and it's not to be disputed. So it's, I think when we make those connections, those environmental connections and those interpretations from the Quran and because Muslims, like a good Muslim goes by the Quran, you know, and when we make those interpretations that I've mentioned in the verses earlier, that that will make a difference. And Ramadan is you know, the way it's practiced nowadays completely defeats the purpose. It's every night, you know, when it comes time to break the fast, there's a huge feast and everybody gets together and there's so many options and so many varieties. And it's really sad because when you're after fasting a long day, your stomach shrinks and you're accustomed to eating less. So it's like all that food becomes excessive and nobody really, I don't know anybody that eats that much. I cannot. And it's really sad because it takes away from the purpose of Ramadan. Ramadan is just the month where we're supposed to be in worship and spend all our time in worship. Yet it ends up being that a lot of people just spend their time in the kitchen cooking. And then after after you cook a massive feast, they have, there's a massive cleanup. <laughs> so it's like they're losing the benefits of Ramadan and what Ramadan's really about. It's not about you know, it's nice to break the fast together and being in congregation, but keeping it simple. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And the environmental toll on that also is, is that there's so much food and it can only be eaten at a certain time of the day for a whole month. So a lot of it ends up going to waste. So when people realize like, oh, I'm 
doing this wrong. This isn't about the meal. This is about the benefits, the reward, the worship, the devotion. And reading the Quran and Ramadan and prayer and asking God for all that our heart desires, that's what it's about. And that's lost, unfortunately. I didn't think about that. I just, yeah, remember how good my neighbor's <laughs> kitchen used to smell when it was time to break the fast. They're like, oh, I can smell biryani. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or just like something delicious, like the smells from her kitchen. So it's like funny. So, yeah, I never thought about that. The waste. Yeah. Because yeah. it's basically like a massive feast every single night. And then like an Uber feast, like at the end of the month when it's Eid. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sophia, thoughts? <laughs> I want to say that I had you know, that very same experience. And in recent years, you know, my family is my parents, older brother, little sister. She's eight years younger than me, which is why I didn't mention her when I was little because she didn't exist. And now she does. And like for Ramadan, like that first like couple of few days, you know, like we'll have a big breakfast even. We'll like eggs. Uh, my dad makes his like special breakfast. My mom will make French toast. And, you know, by like day five, we're like, uh, this is a lot, right? We don't eat the French toast. We can't eat it during the day. <laughs> you know, it just sits there. Who wants to eat French toast again at 4 a.m. and, you know, 8 p.m.? Nobody yeah. really. And we kind of like wean ourselves off that mentality. And we're having hard boiled eggs, yogurt tea right we can like very gradually get back into how you know ramadan should be just because it's easier to do it that way and then we can connect to our holy month a lot better that way as well you know same thing with our dinners our iftar we'll have like maybe one really big first iftar and then it's leftovers (laughs) it's whatever we made maybe one day we'll get like food that we can eat again in the morning. But very lucky, I'm glad like my family has like been able to not keep that trend of overindulgence during Ramadan. And Green Muslims last year, actually, we did a Ramadan challenge where we encouraged our social media followers to do a different theme each week. And so for the first week, it was to care for a plant or native fauna. So we really tried to bring in some hard environmental skills, I guess. Learn what is a native flora, you know, in your area? What does it mean? You know, because we, again, have people from all over. What's native in Virginia might not be what's native in Ohio or might be different. Or maybe we have an invasive species. And another one was to use reusable water bottles when you're out and about for iftar. And another one was composting and reusing food waste. Because again, we're potentially making a lot of food, having a lot of food waste and I know, you know, personally, I need to up my veggie and fruit intake during Ramadan because I don't have like that snack during the day. But you're going to have all these peels and cores and parts that you don't want. And, you know, during our holy month, what better way to, you know, live as responsibly for this planet and as a good steward for this planet than to return those nutrients back into the earth? And again, at whatever scale is possible, like we promoted, you know, actual compost in your backyard or if you don't have that crush your eggshells and put them in your plants there's different ways that you can still be connected without making a big deal and then our last challenge was to help combat environmental racism 
So we had an intern at the time that helped create a whole list of different projects and protests that were going on across the country. The uh, different pipelines in Virginia, I think Minnesota, protests in Hawaii, things in Texas. To kind of, you know, during this month again, we're trying to be our best Muslim self. Also means caring for others. And we try to make that, you know, regional what you could do to care for others in kind of an outside-of-the-box sort of way that I don't think it's typically talked about in like green spaces unless you're in a specifically activist space. In Muslim spaces, to talk about this giant overarching issue of environmental injustice. Those are really good examples. Like, those are really good ideas, too, <laughs> to get people motivated <laughs> to like be good stewards and actors. And just like, I was going to say like, perhaps guilting them <laughs> during the <laughs> holy month. But it's not. It's like just asking you to do what you're committing to, right? Like, yeah, do it the right way. Educate and, you know, advocacy. You know, my big thing over and over again is, you know, it's just advocacy. What you don't know, you can't fight against. You can't help. You know, you need that knowledge. And, you know, Ramadan's a hard month because, again, we should not be on social media all the time. So it's always like a balance of like, well, we're in a pandemic, we can't do anything. But also, we want people to track with us, so we have to post on social media. Right. So we're in this like little complex spot, yeah. I didn't think about the social media part. Oh, yeah, because, you know, that's like indulging in the evils of social media. <laughs> yeah, especially during like a month where if you have free time, you know, we should be reading the Quran. We should be spending time with our families. Instead of scrolling through TikTok, seeing what's the new TikTok trend this week yeah. or day. Oh, you know, what would be really cool is if you all had like evening walks, like around the time, like just when you break iftar and you're like taking a walk in like a green belt nearby or just like a little green space. And you could have a guide who's like walking you through like the trees that may be there or like the season and what's blooming or. Yeah. Because it's around. May, right? Starts in April this year. Okay. Yeah. So it's like around spring. Yeah. Yeah. That'd yeah. be so nice. It's like renewal of life. Don't give any of our ideas away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you can take those ones. <laughs> but you want people to steal your ideas because then it's part of the movement. Yeah, exactly. Ramadan is like keystone, like in the calendar, in the Islamic calendar, is there anything else that you all try to advocate for, like within like special times of the year or events? Or you yourself even personally just doesn't necessarily have to be just with green Muslims? Not through the Muslim calendar, no. You know, we have our spring events and our, I guess it's they're more seasonal and we try to engage people monthly. Yeah, Ramadan does have a different weight to it. But otherwise, I don't think we do. Well, we just, you know, we try to be engaged monthly. Yeah. And really try to have a lot of collaboration with different organizations, especially in the D.C. metro area. Yeah. To help get people connected and, you know, not only with Green Muslims, but have them connected with other organizations that might be beneficial to them, that might be doing something different than us. The Audubon Society, they can go on a bird walk with, you know, an expert that can point out the birds or they can do different plantings or... We were by the Potomac River, do a lot of river-based activity as well. So we like to serve as that gateway organization for 
what we want to do, our basic knowledge and neospirituality, but also if you want to use us as a stepping stone to get, you know, into work, you know, in the river, hey, here are five different organizations that we can help point you to. Yeah, that's a really good idea because that's how you just kind of like combine your powers, right? But you're also encouraging people to learn more and just like go beyond like themselves in a sense. Yeah. Cool. So we're kind of reaching the end of our conversation, but I wanted to ask you this one question, both of you is, what advice do you have for other Muslims to be connected more with nature and get involved in environmental efforts? My advice would be to get yourself out there and make room for yourself. Not many environmental spaces are very Muslim heavy. And so there is room for Muslims to be in there and have their voice heard. And you know, it can be kind of daunting if you have a more typically Islamic name or if you're a hijabi to feel, you know, kind of like the odd man out and, you know, usually very typically white American spaces, you know, in the U.S. And so I think it's to be confident in the work that you want to do to make yourself heard and to start off wherever you're comfortable with. If it's sitting quietly in the back of a Zoom, hearing about information, go for it. If it's getting to the forefront of planning protests or advocacy or in-person action, then, you know, do that. Find whatever role that you feel comfortable in, whatever passion that you really have, and to pursue that noise, learn more about what you want to learn about and have that used to your best ability. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. Afnab? I would say strive for a simpler life. Strive for the simplest life you can. I say this because it is the Muslim way, living simply, living humbly. But also when you live simpler, I remind myself of this all the time whenever I'm going to buy something. It's like, why am I buying this? Why am I getting this? And what is the purpose of this? And when we let go of the material things and we find ourselves drawn to more experiences. And when we're drawn to experiences and we're by default, you know, we're just going to build more connections with our friends, our families. We're going to build connections with the outdoors because we just don't want the stuff anymore. And we want something of value and quality and meaningful. And so I think my biggest advice is definitely to live simply, forget about the stuff and go straight for the outdoors experiences. I know my love language. It's not gifts. (laughs) It's quality time and quality time with nature. Oh, thank you. That was a really good reminder of living simply because it's something that I strive to do, but I don't think about it enough because it is also hard. You know, it's like asking yourself, do you really need this? Do I really need this plant? Do I need the 15th, 20th plant? Well, you know, I think plants are exempt from this. Plants are are encouraged. I will never in my life discourage plants. I myself have 12 house plants. And I'm looking, I'm always like window shopping for more. You know, it's like, do I need the next iPhone? The current one that I have is fine. Yeah, mine is at the verge of dying. And I'm afraid that one day I'm going to be in an emergency. and It's just going to die on me. 
but I will let the universe take care of me at that point. But yes, I refuse to buy another iPhone unless like the one I have dies. And I think it's it's like the iPhone 7 and we're now at 14 or something like that. Oh, I stopped. With the X's, <laughs> yeah. I can't keep track. <laughs> yeah, a simple life just helps you get more like... It gives you clarity and better perspective on what is really important in life, right? And it helps you prioritize the things that are important in life. So yeah, thank you for that reminder. It's also something that is kind of like at the core of Hinduism is like you have to strive to live a simpler life because it takes away all the clutter, all the noise around you, and it helps you basically reach enlightenment, right? When you shed off all that crap that you're carrying with yourself. And it's not only like the material stuff, right? It's also like the spiritual element of like declutter any judgments that you have or resentment or whatever like negative feelings, because those are complex and they're not helpful. So yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you, Sophie and Afnan, for that. We're now going to be moving into our lightning round. And it's basically a series of four questions. And we'll take turns here. I'll ask you a question. And the first thing that comes to your mind, answer it. We may go down a rabbit hole, <laughs> but I cannot guarantee that I won't have like a follow-up reaction because there's so many interesting responses that come from these. So. Who wants to go first? A for Afnan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it alphabetically. Okay. Equality. Okay. okay, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, Afnan. You ready? All right, I'm ready. All right. So what have you read, heard, or watched that has influenced you the most? Oh, oh, I don't know. Besides the Quran, of course. <laughs> So many documentaries, so many documentaries. There's one documentary that like really hit me, Blackfish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That just, <laughs> I thought that was very enlightening. And I cannot see an animal suffer or struggle. It tears me apart. Yeah. Blackfish, like that was on Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when it came out, I didn't watch it because... I've put myself through a lot of such documentaries and I know like being from an environmental background, we've basically done this to ourselves. So, <laughs> but yeah, there were a lot of conversations around it, especially in like the environmental space for sure. And beyond that. So it definitely played a crucial role in creating or just like shedding some light on those issues around like overfishing, overconsumption and animal abuse. All right. So what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your work? I don't know if I have any particular habit. I do make a conscious overall effort. I try to be more mindful and live more sustainably myself. I do my own environmental impact assessment and everything that I do. And I guess that makes it easier. It's easier to preach when you're practicing it yourself. You do your own environmental impact assessment. That's well, you know, just like, okay, like, do I need this? Yeah. Like, I know for a fact, like, I would never want a diamond ring because I know the environmental impact of that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I think about it. I do the research. 
I have been doing the research on everything. That's good. That's good. You're doing the research. Not many (laughs) of us do. (laughs) What's the best piece of advice you've received? It's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Wow. Like I remember when I was living back at home, I kind of just took the reins and I was like, we lived in a rental and I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start gardening things. I'm gonna start planting some <laughs> stuff over here. I mean, I never got in trouble, but the landlord was happy, but I never asked for permission because if I asked for permission, it would have been like, I don't know if I want you to change things around here. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good example of asking, well, like you'd prefer to ask for forgiveness than permission. I've never heard of that kind of advice in like positive context, I guess. (laughs) I've heard it when I was an an undergrad student from a professor that I worked closely with. And we wanted to do like all these environmental projects on campus. Right. And we would receive a lot of resistance from the administration. We're like, we're just going to go ahead and do it. It's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Because if we say ask for permission, they're going to say no or give us some reason why not. Yes. As you were saying that, I was like, oh, that's really good advice for change makers. Right. Yeah. The first time I heard that line, it was from like a CEO of a corporation. And... (laughs) We were working on a controversial project and I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like I'm tainting my soul here. (laughs) It does not always apply. (laughs) And then the final question is, what is your superpower? I would say my superpower is probably my determination. I think there are so many instances where I heard people say, oh, this is too hard. You know, we can't do that. And then to me, like something being difficult does it mean that it's impossible? Yeah. And that means that I'm going to go ahead and do it. It just means I have to work extra hard and work extra harder. <laughs> I don't think yeah. that's... <laughs> that's how hard you're working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to work harder and to achieve this. And it's achieved through determination. Yep. That's a good one. All right. Sophia with an S, it is your turn. <laughs> I'm ready. All right. What have you read, heard, or watched that has influenced you the most? I think my answer is going to be out there. And it is my Twitter feed because I do my best to follow a lot of grassroots organizers and activists from all over in Virginia, in Richmond, in D.C., and different activist spaces to really educate me the most on a lot of issues. I'm really passionate about my environmental work. But that ties into social justice as well. And so being able to, especially with all the protests that we've had over the past couple of years, being able to read live tweets from local journalists of what's happening to really get information, to watch videos, live streams has influenced me a lot because you can see it happening without it being a narrative from this media company or that media company to just see what is happening. So I think that influences my work a lot. Yeah, that's it's very millennial of me. <laughs> now, I was just going to say, like, that's the good side of social media is it's not necessarily all bad. It's really helped power movements and change. And it's also done the opposite of that. So what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your work? My personal habit is taking a deep breath and just doing things. 
lots of times in activist spaces, it's really uncomfortable to do a new thing, to meet new people, to say the idea. And I'm rather introverted. And so when you're trying to do advocacy work, it's kind of hard. And so my habit is, I'm really uncomfortable right now. I may not want to do it. I'm going to take a deep breath. and I'm going to just go for it. You know, that habit has worked. For this work is I do it at my job when I have to talk to construction workers. It's kind of across the board what I've done. Yeah. And in like your past life, like when you were in college, you were involved in a lot of activist spaces. Is that something that you were still involved in besides Green Muslims? I was pre-pandemic and then with no less Mm -hmm. in-person events and having everything be virtual. I've taken a step back, but I definitely try to keep my ear out as much as possible. And I luckily have a good network of friends who will send me a link to this protest or that event. And so over the past couple of years, I've still done some activist work in immigration spaces. Mm -hmm. That's really important to me as well. Yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've received? The best piece of advice I have received was, if you're doing your best, it's good enough. Because we oftentimes were like, wow, I want to do a million things. And it's impossible. But if you're trying your best, you're doing good enough. And there's no reason to, you know, beat yourself up over it. No, we're all only human. We all have our limit of what we can do. And sometimes you need to do your best, take a deep breath, <laughs> and then go on to the next thing or take a break, whatever that may be. Yeah, that's a uh, really good advice for me because <laughs> I have to remind myself of that. I just, I want to, yeah, do a million things. Even like We want to be perfect, right? We want to do everything and the best. Right. I just want to do everything yeah, and do it like really well. But that's not humanly possible and it's just not sustainable. But yeah, even like with this podcast, I have all these ideas, but like, uh, I'm just one person. So let's just be realistic about impact versus burnout versus like priorities. Yeah. Yeah. The list goes on, right? (laughs) Finally, what is your superpower? My superpower is that I am very passionate about this work. And that I have been in so many non-environmental spaces, just giving out any fact that I know related to what we're doing and driving that passion and being able to use that for the intersectionality and the environmental movement is a big thing for me because I really want to make an impact with whoever I talk to. I used to work at a landfill and so I would bring, you know, intersectionality of solid waste (laughs) and the environment of immigration and the environment. I really just try to use this passion to push this narrative as much as I can to whoever I can in such a way that they can feel this passion and want to do something about it, or at least support it in their own way. Yeah. So basically, I'm annoying. (laughs) No, you are inspiring. Thanks. (laughs) And I'm personally just very grateful to have people like you and like, both of you just being at the forefront of these issues because gosh I remember what it was like to be the only like environmentalist in my household and like in my community and I'm like is there anybody else is it just me who's making noise here (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you're familiar with the baby wasabi video the baby that eats wasabi and then it's like help it's like the lightest of the hop and that's what you feel you're like 
<laughs> I've taken off way too much. I've been too much more than I can chew. Yeah. I love that video. It's Please watch it. <laughs> That's another thing I'm going to Google. <laughs> In addition to like zero waste religious institutions. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure and I would love to have both of you on again just to see how Green Muslims is doing, just to see how y'all are thriving because you definitely have a lot of passion and it's backed by a lot of like ideas to do and to make change. So with that, I want to close out by just asking what's the best way folks can follow you? Sophia, you're on Twitter, so I'm guessing people can easily find you there. Yes, I am at the Green Galani, both Twitter and Instagram. Cool. Afna? I am not on Twitter. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> keep up with Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm careful, but it's spelled K-H-A-I-R-F-U-L. It's a play on my last name. Yeah, I saw what you did with that. Very Thank cool. <laughs> I'm a national parks enthusiast so you can see all my national parks and you can Ooh. see my cat there too he yeah. likes to make appearances everywhere apparently <laughs> the cat goes on like hikes with you or no no he's always at work with me <laughs> everybody at work knows him he likes to be in the camera yeah look at that like you don't see very many cuddly cats Look at that. I just want to like grow his mustache. But we also have an Instagram for Green Muslims. Yeah, you can follow Green Muslims on Facebook, Instagram, and also Twitter. Yes, we will include all of those in our show notes. All right. So final, final, final question is, is there anything else that you would like to add that you didn't have an opportunity to do so during our conversation here today? Oh, there's so much. <laughs> yes, that's what we like will I have you on for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, really insightful conversations. I felt like we were in like a tea shop, just like sipping on tea and like talking about all of these philosophical things that I never thought about and just wanting to continue the conversation. So we're definitely going to hopefully like have a, another check in maybe in a few months or so. All right. Well, with that, thank you all so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure and I wish you all best of luck. We'll be in touch. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great connecting with you. Hey all, thanks for listening to Breaking Green Ceilings. If you'd like to hear more episodes with change-making environmentalists, head on over to watersavvysolutions.com backslash podcast. You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, if you love the show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like on iTunes. You can also sign up for my newsletter to find out when new episodes are available. And please do share the podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and whoever you think will be inspired by the wisdom of our change makers. I always welcome feedback, so please do feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is also on watersavvysolutions.com. Until next time, keep breaking through those green ceilings.